Hi, everyone. This is your 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries host, John Hagedorn. And this is an archived presentation of one of our very early episodes called The Phoenix Lights. This episode kicks off our new Best Of series for 1001 Heroes. We'll be bringing you our older listener favorites every Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, so your early commuters can enjoy some of our best older shows without having to search for them. So look for us early every Thursday morning. This story, The Phoenix Lights, is probably the most compelling UFO story from the U.S. because it was witnessed by so many people, including the governor of Arizona at the time, Governor Symington. These days, the U.S. Navy has confirmed the existence of UAPs, i.e. UFOs. But back in 2015, when this episode was made, we still had a lot of doubters. It was one of our lister favorites that year. This one is short, about 20 minutes. Enjoy. Today's episode is from our Mysteries series, and it involves one of the 10 most witnessed UFO sightings in the recent past, commonly known as the Phoenix Lights. On Thursday, March 13, 1997, at approximately 8.17 Mountain Standard Time, callers from the Prescott Valley area west of Phoenix, Arizona, began reporting seeing a large flying V-shaped object that was definitely solid because it blocked out much of the starry sky as it passed overhead. John Kaiser was standing outside his house with his wife and sons in Prescott Valley when they noticed a cluster of lights to the west-northwest of their current position. The lights formed a triangular pattern, but all of them appeared to be red except the light at the nose of the object, which was distinctly white. The object, or object, which had been observed for approximately two to three minutes with binoculars, then passed directly overhead the observers, and they were seen to bank to the right, and then they disappeared in the night sky to the southeast of Prescott Valley. The altitude could not be determined. However, it was fairly low and made no sound whatsoever. The first people in Phoenix to get a good look at the huge, slowly moving object were Tim Lay and his family when the V-shaped craft slowly passed over their heads as they stood in their front yard on Thursday, March 13, 1997, at approximately 8.17 Mountain Standard Time. They first saw the lights of the craft, which were probably part of its propulsion system, far to their west above Prescott Valley, about 65 miles away from them. The lights appeared to be moving towards them. Over the next 10 or so minutes, they appeared to be coming closer, and the distance between the lights increased, and they took on the shape of an inverted V. Eventually, when the lights appeared to be a couple of miles away, the witnesses could make out a shape that looked like a 60-degree carpenter square with the five lights set into it, with one at the front and two on each side. Soon, the object with the embedded lights appeared to be coming right down the street where they lived at about 100 to 150 feet above them. Traveling so slowly, it appeared to hover and was silent. The object then seemed to pass over their heads and went through a V opening in the peaks of the mountain range towards Squaw Peak Mountain and toward the direction 
of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. Witnesses in Glendale, a suburb northwest of Phoenix, saw the object pass overhead at an altitude high enough to become obscured by the thin clouds. This was at approximately between 8.30 and 8.45 Mountain Standard Time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. The following is an excerpt from the local TV station report on the UFO, an interview with the Lay family. The latest chapter into a strange valley encounter. Three months ago, tonight, something strange happened in the skies over Arizona that still hasn't been fully explained. And in reality, we may never know exactly what happened that night. Tonight, first on Fox, we hear from a Phoenix family who may have been closer to whatever it was in the sky, closer than anyone else. It's getting closer and closer, and we're saying, you know, that thing's coming right at us. Tim Lee and his family are among the hundreds of witnesses who've come forward to talk about the night of March 13th, an event now known as the Phoenix Lights. The Lees first saw the lights while looking north from their home in the Sunny Slope Mountains. When it finally got here and we realized this thing was coming right over us, we really started getting antsy, and then when it went directly overhead without a sound, it was like... It was like that. It was so big. You couldn't even hear the wind. It was so quiet. It was just, it just didn't even do anything. It just came through. These images of what they saw are made on a computer. They're a combination of digital photos of the landscape taken by Lee and computer drawings of the objects his family saw in the sky. It was a giant V, all right? And the right side of the V went over us. The left side was like a couple blocks over it. You just didn't know what to do, you know? It was just like, my God, how big is this thing? It didn't seem threatening because when, when it was right overhead and we couldn't hear a sound, it was like you're just awestruck. Jim Delatoso has been researching UFOs for 20 years. Right now, he's in the middle of putting together a virtual reality model of what happened that night. He's talked to hundreds of witnesses about the night of March 13th, including the Lees. He thinks that he said, if he had a tennis ball, he could have hit it. He could have thrown a tennis ball at it. It was that close. It was very close. He just could have nailed it. I consider Tim Lee and his family to be very reliable and very important in the data that they've given us because they were so close that they could look up and, as they said, almost touch it. The last light went right over my wife and I, and there was no light on the ground. But I could see up inside that it was almost like a recess and it had fluorescent like light inside, like a gas light of some kind. You could see right through the middle of it, but it was like looking through two-way glass, like through a mirage that you see on the highway or something, or just when it's real hot, right through there. You can see through, but there's no light coming back or anything like that. It was just really weird. This is the first time 
in the series of reports of that night that someone said that they looked up and saw a structured object. As it went over, it went straight like, like through this V right there, over that guy's house. It took about 15 minutes to get from way from, from when we first saw it all the way till we couldn't saw it. No one knows for sure what happened that night in the skies over Arizona in March, but thousands of people saw something. It's a night the Lees will never forget. We just re-experience it every time we tell it. You know, it, it's like, it's, it was just yesterday, you know? Um, we've just never seen anything like it. I was always a, a very polite skeptic. I would never tell something. If they told me they saw something, I would never say, you're a liar or anything like that, because I don't know. But now I don't know what to think, because um, this is impossible. Bring up the eerie music, please. This is weird stuff. Jim Delatoso, the UFO expert in that story, says the Phoenix Lights event in March is being talked about now all over the world. And he says he wouldn't be surprised if in the future the curious will flock to Arizona looking for something. I have always considered the Phoenix Lights to be a misleading term for what many people described as a flying V-shaped craft large enough to cover a couple of neighborhood blocks from wingtip to wingtip and capable of silent, slow flight. You can see the drawing of the UFO made by the first witnesses in Phoenix, Arizona at our Facebook site at facebook.com slash 1001heroes. Those wing lights, according to varying witnesses, were seen as being either red or white. Possibly they were red when the propulsion system, however that was set up, emitted intense heat. What makes this UFO sighting unique is that thousands of witnesses claim to have observed a huge V-shaped several football field-sized, coherently moving, dark UFO. Stars would disappear behind the object and reappear as it passed by, producing no sound and containing five spherical lights or possibly light-emitting engines. Fife Symington, the governor of Arizona at the time, was one witness to this incident. As governor, he ridiculed the idea of alien origin, but several years later, he called the lights he saw otherworldly after admitting he saw a similar UFO. More on Governor Symington to come. Here's where the story gets even more interesting. There were allegedly two distinct events evolved in the incident. A triangular formation of lights seen to pass over the state between 8 and 9.30 p.m. And wouldn't you know, a couple hours after the thousands of UFO sightings, the United States Air Force at the Barry Goldwater Range in southwest Arizona sent up a few A-10 Warthog aircraft to drop some balloon-supported flares for training exercises. Now, why would they do that? Makes you think, doesn't it? Here's one suggestion. If thousands of people had seen a huge aircraft unlike any known thing we have, radar must have seen it as well. And maybe to prevent mass hysteria and panic, the Air Force needed a diversion. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Holy crap, that thing is as big as a city. Run, take cover, get the dog. No, wait, I'll get the dog. You get the kids. Hold it. It's just a couple of harmless little planes dropping balloon flares. How could we have been so stupid? What's for dinner? Slow-moving A-10 warthogs with hover capability dropping balloon-supported lights would have been just the right answer. That's what it was, folks. You can all go back inside your homes now. Nothing to see. The heavenly weaponized A-10 Warthog wasn't a bad choice to put up in the air from a defensive standpoint, 
For starters, the A-10 took out 900 Iraqi tanks during the Gulf War, decimating what was then the fifth largest mechanized army in the world. It is 53.4 feet long, about as long as a school bus, and its primary built-in weapon is the GE-built 30mm GAU-8A Avenger Gatling-type cannon. One of the most powerful aircraft cannon ever known, it fires large, depleted uranium armor-piercing shells. In the original design, the pilot could switch between two rates of fire, 2100 or 4200 rounds per minute. The cannon takes about a half a second to come up to speed, so 50 rounds are fired during the first second, 60 or 70 rounds per second thereafter. And the A-10 can take a punch. Armor plates of differing thicknesses between the aircraft skin and the drum are designed to detonate incoming shells. The final armor layer around the drum protects it from fragmentation damage. The AGM-65 Maverick air-to-surface missile is a commonly used munition targeted via electro-optical, TV-guided, or infrared. The Maverick allows target engagement at much greater ranges than the cannon and thus less risk from anti-aircraft systems. Other weapons on that plane include cluster bombs and hydro-rocket pods. The A-10 is equipped to carry laser-guided bombs. A-10s usually fly with the ALQ-131 ECM pod under one wing and two Sidewinder air-to-air missiles under the other wing for self-defense. But for this night, over Phoenix, those A-10s were just out there after 10 p.m. dropping flares for we can only guess what reason. But two hours before the warthogs took to the sky, thousands of witnesses observed a large craft coming in over the mountains toward Phoenix, producing no sound other than a rushing of wind and containing five spherical lights or possibly light-emitting engines. Thousands of witnesses throughout Arizona also reported a silent, mile-wide V or boomerang-shaped craft with varying numbers of huge orbs. A significant number of witnesses reported that the craft was silently gliding directly overhead at low altitude. The first-hand witnesses consistently reported that the lights appeared as canisters of swimming light, while the underbelly of the craft was undulating like looking through water. And, of course, it was a great night for skeptics who didn't witness the event and they've been busy coming up with every possible story you can imagine to counter the UFO explanations that happened that night. There was minimal news coverage at the time of the incident. In Phoenix, a small number of local news outlets noted the event, but it received little attention beyond that. But on June 18, 1997, USA Today ran a front-page story that brought national attention to the case. This was followed by news coverage on the ABC and NBC television networks. The case quickly caught the popular imagination and has since become a staple of UFO-related documentary television, including specials produced by the History Channel and the Discovery Channel. Shortly after the UFO sighting, Arizona Governor Fife Symington III, who had witnessed the craft himself, held a press conference stating that they found who was responsible. He proceeded to make light of the situation by bringing his aide on stage dressed in an alien costume. This really angered the hundreds of people who had seen it. But in March 2007, Symington recanted, his political standing no longer a concern to himself, saying that he had witnessed one of the crafts of unknown origin during the 1997 event, although he did not go public with the information. In an interview with the Daily Courier in Prescott, Arizona, Symington finally said, I'm a pilot and I know just about every machine that flies. It was bigger than anything that I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it, responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. 
Symington had earlier said it was enormous and inexplicable. Who knows where it came from? A lot of people saw it. I saw it too. It was dramatic. And it couldn't have been flares because it was too symmetrical. It had a geometric outline, a constant shape. Symington also noted that he requested information from the commander of Luke Air Force Base, the General of National Guard, and the head of the Arizona Department of Public Safety, but none of the officials he contacted had an answer for what had happened, and were also perplexed. Later, he responded to an Air Force explanation that the lights were flares. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitely say that this craft did not resemble any man-made object I've ever seen, and it was certainly not high-altitude flares because flares don't fly in formation. In an episode of the television show UFO Hunters called the Arizona Lights, Symington said that he contacted the military asking what the lights were. The response was, no comment. He pointed out that he was the governor of Arizona at the time, not just some ordinary civilian. Frances Barwood, the 1997 Phoenix City Councilwoman who launched an investigation into the event, said that of the over 700 witnesses she interviewed, the government never interviewed even one. In recent days, you may have noticed a press release from NASA that made national news. They have announced that we are probably not alone in the universe, and by 2025, if you can wait that long, they might find a waterborne microbe out there. I'm <laughs> sorry. They also made a point of telling us not to worry, fret, or panic about the possibility that anything bigger than a microbe might be found. Nothing like total transparency when it comes to our government. No wonder so many people don't trust anything Big Daddy tells us. Thanks for joining us for 1001 Heroes Best of Thursdays. We'll be back next Thursday for another Blast from the Past, and we hope you join us.